Welcome to St Martin in the Fields of those of you here in the building and those of you joining us online and welcome to great sacred music. In the words of the great African-American mid-20th century theologian Howard Thurman, the Bible was written by and intended to be read by those with their backs to the wall. And the tradition of the spirituals is one uh, in which the African-American experience is identified so powerfully with the scriptural story that it's as if the scriptural story is taking place in the present tense. Not something that happened 2,000 years ago, but something that is currently happening now. Uh, particularly in the mid-19th century, there, were, there was a conflation of Abraham in the Bible with Abraham Lincoln, of Harriet Tubman, the slave leader, as, uh, as Moses, the one who was going to bring uh, the slaves out of Egypt, so to speak, and perhaps most of all with the Ohio River, the, 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 the line between the South and the North, as far as uh, slavery was concerned in 19th century America, the, the conflation of the Ohio River with the Jordan River in, in the way that it's spoken of both as far as the entry into the Promised Land and that sense of the Jordan River being the uh, membrane between this life and eternal life. Uh, slaves understood what it meant to come from a foreign land to a place where they were despised and enslaved and so they particularly identified with the experience of Christ described in Matthew chapter 2 of uh, being a refugee fleeing from Jerusalem from Bethlehem from Herod's uh, rapacious revenge and fleeing to Egypt we're actually not going to start with a, a spiritual, having said all that. Our, it's our tradition at Great Sacred Music to sing a hymn together at the beginning, at the end. And we are going to sing together Joy to the World, which was written by Isaac Watts, the famous nonconformist, based on Psalms 96 and 98, 
and the story of the fall in Genesis 3, coming out of the tradition that sees uh, the birth of Jesus as the beginning of the reversal of the fall of humanity, climaxing in the resurrection of Jesus as the raising of humanity after the fall of Adam and Eve, coming out of that tradition. The tune was written in 1836, in other words, about 100 years later, by Lowell Mason, and you will perhaps know that the first four notes of the tune are the same as the first four notes of the chorus, Lift Up Your Heads from, from Handel's Messiah. Uh, if you're joining us from North America, uh, uh, either in the building or, or online, uh, you may well know that Joy to the World is the most published Christmas hymn in North America. So I'm sure many of you can sing it without the words in front of you. But if you want the words in front of you, they're on the inside of the sheet. We remain seated and the voices will stand and lead us as we sing Joy to the World. Christmas, if you like, is about four journeys. It's about the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Uh, it's about the journey of the shepherds to the stable. It's about the journey of the wise men from the east, from afar. And it's about the journey of God from heaven to earth. But of all of those four journeys, the one that sticks in the mind the most is... I would say, unarguably, the journey of the wise men from the east. And, of course, that journey focuses on the star. And we're going to hear uh, two pieces now based around that star. The first written by Peter Gritton, who's director of music at James Allen's Girls' School, just up the road here in, in London. And then we're going to hear uh, Behold the Star. Um, George White, treasurer of Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, first organized the Fisk Jubilee Singers in 1867. 
He recognized the strange, compelling beauty of the songs sung by the students, almost all of whom were former slaves, because, of course, it was only six years after the beginning of the Civil War. Um, and he believes, George White, that the world, too, would recognize and acclaim this music we now know as the African-American spiritual tradition. Encouraged by the success of local concerts, he planned extended tours in the hope of winning friends and funds for the young school. Uh, the group then called the Coloured Christian Singers visited practically all the large cities in the North and the British Isles and the principal countries of Europe in the 1870s. They entertained nobility and royalty and everywhere their songs aroused first curiosity, then deep interest and admiration. When Thomas Talley was the director of the Mozart Society at Fisk University, he was looking for a Christmas number that would capture the spirit of a jubilee song. He wrote, as the son of an ex-slave, I knew a great many jubilee songs, but none pertained to Christmas. After searching far and wide, he realized he would have to create an original jubilee carol. And behold, the star was the result. Let's hear these two pieces now.
Well, we're exploring the different uh, histories behind many of these spirituals, some of which go way, way back, uh, perhaps to 18th century, even back, uh, back to Africa in their roots, some of which are much more contemporary. Uh, the one we're about to hear, Mary's Boy Child, is one of the latter kind. African-American composer Jester Hairston wrote a song for a birthday party with a calypso rhythm because the people at the party would be mainly West Indians. Sometime later, he was asked to write a new Christmas song and remembered the calypso rhythm from his old song and wrote new lyrics for it. Harry Belafonte heard the song and recorded it in 1956. I remember growing up listening to the Harry Belafonte version every Christmas. I later had the privilege of meeting Harry Belafonte uh, when I was uh, serving in the United States and he'd become really quite a radical politician uh, after retiring from his musical career. Uh, and Harry Belafonte's version was the first single to sell over one million copies in the UK alone. And then along in 1978, we all remember 1978, well, there's actually two people here I can see who don't remember 1978, I suspect most of the people behind me don't remember 1978, I certainly do. Boney M, their version uh, sold even more than one million. So, Mary's boy child, can't beat it.
Well, we're going to, those of us in the building are going to sing uh, again now. We're going to sing See Him Lying on a Bed of Straw, which is another curious uh, spiritual in the sense that it was written by a, a person who with no ancestral connections to uh, the African-American community or, or Africa at all, Michael Perry, uh, who was a student at the Evangelical Anglican Theological College Oak Hill here in London in 19... 64. He wrote it for a college carol concert while he was a seminarian at Oak Hill. Um, it only became famous by accident. Cliff Richard was hastily assembling a selection for radio and included the song to replace a missing recording. Uh, it gained a good deal of popularity and was included in the 1969 songbook Youth Praise 2, which was a tremendously influential late 60s uh, publication. Michael Perry tragically died at a very young age about 25 years ago. Uh, this is undoubtedly his best known composition, uh, a classic of its era. We'll, uh, we'll remain seated. The voices will stand and lead us again as we sing the Calypso Carol, See Him Lying on a Bed of Straw. Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. Um, if you've enjoyed yourself, I hope you have, uh, you may be 
willing to make a, a donation. There are several ways of making donations these days. All the details are on the back of the sheets, but they do include cash at the door and a number of technological ways of doing it, um, which, most of which are available to those of you joining us online. Uh, do look out for our uh, Great Sacred Music next week. Do note that the Great Sacred Music will be taking a two-week break from being in the building for the two weeks for the Thursday either side of Christmas and back again in the new year. Uh, there's a feast of music coming up this weekend, uh, particularly uh, in our worship here at St. Martin's. On Sunday, we have our Nine Lessons and Carols service at 4 p.m. And then at 7 o'clock, we have the Soul Sanctuary Gospel Choir singing Mary's Nativity. That's at 7 p.m. So something for every taste, pretty much the whole spectrum of choral music this Sunday here at St. Martin's. We're going to finish... Um, with a bang, with Go Tell It on the Mountain, an African-American spiritual compiled by John Wesley Work Jr., dating back to at least 1865, so from the, the vintage tradition of spirituals. Uh, and it's, it's unusual because, uh, as I think I explained earlier, the spirituals tend to focus on the Exodus experience and the way that connects with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as a liberation experience, and they tend not to have so much to say uh, about the incarnation of Jesus and the Christmas story, but this is an exception. So it's sometimes thought of as a Christmas carol as well as being a spiritual. Um, James Baldwin, the African-American intellectual of the 50s, 60s, and, and 70s, wrote a semi-autobiographical novel called Go Tell It on the Mountain, in 1953, where he focused on the role of the Pentecostal church in the lives of African-Americans. Uh, there's a lot of negativity in the book about the repression and moral hypocrisy of the Pentecostal church of the time, but there's also recognition of the positive source of inspiration and community that came from that tradition, not least uh, from its music. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>